0: I was first introduced to Sarah Olin several years back as just a phenomenal coach, mentor, advisor. And she's she is up there. And just spending 45 minutes with the woman, I gained so many insights. But that doesn't begin to describe my admiration for her. And so to be able to sit down and listen to her and some of her history in her own words is just a privilege and a lot of these we have to edit ums and you knows and my fumbling and we've left almost all of this conversation intact i think you'll really enjoy it and get a lot out of sarah olin
1: and i deal with so many adults that have no capacity for their own feelings
2: this is in her words a podcast from manlisting.com, featuring one man listening to the stories of real women in their own words. In her words, a conversation worth hearing, because every woman deserves to be heard
0: hey there hi there ho there and welcome to in her words the podcast an amazing guest this week that i really have enjoyed and i just learned so much from sarah olin who is a coach and also founded lumo which coaches moms especially moms who are expecting parents and also who are in the business world particularly the owners and the high flyers in their own businesses you will hear her refer in this piece to her husband matt uh who also does great work has been a broadway producer and does wonderful work with creatives all over charlotte hosts creative mornings and i i love talking to him he will not be on this podcast he will not he does not qualify so this is not about him but we do talk about how they met, what a power couple they are, and what a great mom and dad they are. A really personal conversation with Sarah Olin. Where were you born?
1: I was born in Rhode Island.
0: Hospital or home? Hospital. For your mother, you're number what of how many?
1: One of three.
0: And brothers, sisters?
1: Sister and brother, one of each.
0: Wonderful, and what's the age gap?
1: My sister is 18 months younger, and my brother is five years younger.
0: And I know that you're a mom. I'm a mom. What, if anything, did your mother tell you about her pregnancy, labor, and delivery that helped you when you became a mom?
1: Oh, my gosh. Um, It was very different. It's funny. She actually made this post on Facebook because I had... I wrote an article recently for Fast Company and and it's all about parental leave and and that sort of thing which is what we do at Lumo and she said that when she was pregnant with me which I knew she was working at a big insurance company in Providence and her manager who was a woman pulled her aside and said are you pregnant and she said yes and and she said are you going to fire me because that's what they did when you st- when you started to show back then and you were pregnant you'd get fired um and she said, no, I won't fire you. But then my mom ended up leaving and was a stay-at-home mom for most of my child, till I was at least 11.
0: Did she tell you anything about your birth?
1: You know, it's funny. Um, no, I know she had some problems afterwards. Um, she She's told me the story of my dad built a fire and she thought she had gas and, <laughs> you know, it was that that sort of thing. But um, she's funny because I'll ask her things about when I was a little girl or a baby, and a lot of it is fuzzy now. You know, she'll say, you were so good. You never cried. You were the best baby. And she said she took a picture of me when I was one years old when I was crying because no one ever saw me cry. And she said she wanted people to see that I actually did cry. So,
0: have you seen this photo?
1: Yes, I've seen the photo. It's really sweet. Um, so, but I think nostalgia, wears, you know, does something to our memory, and I don't think her memories are super strong of of what it was. But I I know that they went into the delivery room um, late at night, probably after midnight, and. I think I was born by the next morning, so not terribly long.
0: Increasingly, having kids is a very intentional thing. Yeah. Um, did she say to you, or what could you see in her that having kids is, is a worthwhile endeavor?
1: Yeah. Well for my mom motherhood was an art form. I mean, for some, it was a lifestyle. It was her life. She, I think, I think she would say that part of her purpose was to be a mother. Um, She comes from a family of five, um, super close to her family. So she has three sisters, very close to her sisters. Um, So family is huge for her, and we were her world as kids.
0: How could you tell that she was so dialed in on you? Tell me a story.
1: Oh, my gosh. I'm trying to think of a specific story. It was more about the love and the consistency. She just, she loved us so much, and... Even now, as an adult, I'll tell you a story about now, which makes me feel so loved and cared for. So my mom lives in Rhode Island still, um, and she comes down to Charlotte four or five times a year, and whenever she comes, I get to be really taken care of. She cooks, she cleans, she takes care of my daughter, she takes care of the dog, she takes care of all of us. And it's just, it's like being held. I'll be working in my office and she'll bring me breakfast or bring me eggs or heat up my coffee or anything that needs to be done, she does it. She does grocery shopping and cooks and she takes so much joy in it and it's so lovely. It's so loving and kind. It is the, it's really, really special and I've spent the last decades supporting women and the mother-daughter relationship can be really, really complicated and I feel incredibly grateful that I have a mom who is so wonderful and loving and she does her own personal work and has. She's been an Al-Anon since I was 11 years old. So she is very evolved and smart and kind and, She's just the best. I won the mom lottery. That's like, <laughs> for sure, for sure.
0: Um, how can you engage in that life that is so centered on others and still have a place for self-care, mm. not completely Yeah. give it away?
1: I think that she got better about that, for her or for me, or just- For her yeah. and then you. I think for her, she got better at it. My parents split up when I was 11, and she, she was no longer willing to tolerate certain things in her marriage, and it was a boundary. And I think she learned at that time to really care for herself. But over the years, even as a child, I would see her you know, going to aerobics classes and, you know, being with her sisters and in my dad's family so there it was always there but it became it grew and grew and grew as as she got older and as we got older because it, it became non-negotiable when you're trying to heal and run a family and go back to get back into the workforce and she, she went back to school. She got an associate's degree. She, she reentered the workforce after being a stay-at-home mom. So you cannot do that without self-care. And I think that she knew that. And it's certainly been an extraordinary example for me of that because my mom had boundaries. Even when I went through a, a hard time in college and when i and i wanted to go live with my mom afterwards and she said no because it wasn't a good choice for her and it was great it was the right thing for her it, it's hard to hear no no one ever wants to hear that and i'm sure at the time i was nonplused about it
0: um <laughs> you don't love me anymore
1: <laughs> right whatever horrible thing i said back then i don't remember but she's She's taught me so much about boundaries, and boundaries teach people how to be with us. And my self-care is amazing, and it's because of the work that I do, but it's also because of the example that she set.
0: Um, what does self-care look like? Because so often people will say, well, that's self-indulgent, um, or there's this puritanical work ethic that says, I can't take a nap.
1: Yeah. Um, it's funny. Uh, a woman, an energy worker, she's a PhD in philosophy, but she she called herself a theta healer. The, a woman I used to work with 15 years ago in New York, she, she wrote a paper on selfishness and basically saying there's no such thing as selfishness. And... I'm kind of of that mindset. I don't. I think that if I take care of myself, I can be great for everybody else. And if I don't take care of myself, I can't. And my job, literally, is to be great for people, is to show up and be great, is to be able to love people and be with them in their worst moments, in their best moments. And if I am not taking care of myself, it can't work, doesn't work. I can't do my job. I can do it, but not well. And I'm committed to doing it well. And I'm also committed to myself. I wanna have a great life. And if I wanna have a great life, I have to take care of myself. And it, what it looks like for me changes based on the day. But mostly, I mean, I have a foundation that I know I need that's like the baseline. I sleep, I exercise, I meditate, I pray. That's table stakes. Okay, that's the that's where we start, and then it's do I take time with my puppy to really pet her and tell her how much I love her? Am I talking to a friend? Am I reading fun fiction? Am I going for a walk with my family? Am I connecting with Matt? Am I, you know, enjoying? Am I having fun? You know. Um, my team laughs. I said, this, um, you know, everybody in January is talking about the word of the year. What's the word of the year? And I said, uh, my word of the year is going to be fun. And my team sort of looked at me. They're like, you really have a lot of fun all the time. Like, <laughs> where are you going to go from the fun that you have? And I said, you're right. You're right. I'm, I'm already I'm already doing it. So I picked another word. But um,
0: What other word did you pick?
1: I picked leveling up. So that's what I'm working on.
0: What does that mean?
1: For me, it means um, not just going beyond what's easy and what I already do, because again, my well-being is already good, but what is the next level? So for me, I'm really fortunate. I inherited my dad's fast metabolism, so I've been able to eat whatever I want my whole life and be thin. And, you know, in the last year, I've noticed I don't feel good. I still eat that stuff. Nothing's changed, but I don't feel good, so it's not... And it, and it makes me a little foggier. I can't eat a big plate of pasta and then, you know, um, have energy for things. So it's been, okay, that is not that's the next level for me is that it's it's more vital and vibrant and not just like ooh i can eat fettuccine alfredo <laughs> because i can it's not it, that's leveling up to me or you know taking a cold shower that's that's something that i know really energizes me is really good for me and doing that is like a level up right
0: um, I go to 12-step meetings and there's chocolate. There's there's big boxes of donuts, and if I reach for a donut, invariably someone will try to shame me. Oh, oh stay away. That's t- dangerous.
1: Well, why uh, do they have them there? Then?
0: Exactly. <laughs> and uh, and some people say you shouldn't have them.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but I'm like, since when did it be? come okay to sort of shame people
1: it's never okay it's horrible it is not okay ever to shame people it's a it's the worst thing that you can do and we live in such a shame culture um, we do it to ourselves we do it to each other it's in the media it's everywhere um, yeah I had a donut yesterday and I and I felt a little bit bad about it because of this level up conversation that we're in. Um, I don't believe in good and bad food I believe in like you were asking like what is well-being for you what's what's healthy for you my sister's doing plant January plant-based January and um, you know it's it's actually helping her blood pressure go down so it's like that's probably a good look for you for a long-term play right but not everybody needs that
0: yeah um Did you participate in the Women's March?
1: No, I was working. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, it's
1: funny because we were in New York. I was in New York working that weekend, but Matt and Mirabel were there and they went.
0: Mm. What is a sacred feminine value?
1: I think for me When I think of sacred feminine value, I think of it more through the lens of feminine leadership or matriarchal leadership. And I think that, to me, that's human-centric. And that means people first. Um, And for me, a huge feminine or matriarchal value is generosity. I believe in taking care of people. I believe in helping people. I'm basically a socialist. I mean, basically. (laughs) At the, you know, I believe that in a civilized society we all help each other, we take care of each other. Um, I have a huge heart and so much empathy for people. I wanna help everybody. So it's no, not a huge surprise that I got into the work that I got into. Because I want to give people everything that I have, everything that I've learned. If I can make a difference and help someone, that's that's the best.
0: When people say socialism, I always say Venezuela socialism <laughs> or Sweden socialism. <laughs> so, what do you mean by socialist?
1: I just mean um, probably I'm probably more Bernie Sanders like. Mm-hmm. Take care of people. Treat them well. Give them, give them a chance. Right? Let's not pretend that we're playing on an even playing field right now mm. in the world, because we're not.
0: Yeah. Where do those values come from?
1: Well, I think it's it's nature and nurture. I think part of it is just my soul and who I am, but I also think my parents, my mom, it's funny, we joke because my mom is this very angelic person and my dad is a little devil. So (laughs) um, he's very energetic and charismatic and naughty and my mom is very sweet and kind and, and she's mischievous in her own way and they're both really great, but they... Matt says I got the best of both of them. Like, my dad's, you know, love of fun and being with people and and being the life of the party and that energy that happens when people are together. And then my mom's love and compassion. So um, I think from both of them, and my dad is big on family, really big on family. Um, So... They taught me, like, you take, my dad taught me, you take care of your family, you take care of each other. And, and I just expanded that a little more to you take care of people and the people that you love in your life. He's always showing up for his friends and he'll be there. He'd give you the shirt off his back. He'd do anything for the people in his life that he cares about.
0: In your own teams, as a leader, how do you articulate expectations and um boundaries uh, in a way that's not negative that's not bossy or demanding that's simply that's kind
1: yeah um i do my best it's not perfect Um, but I work with people that I really love and respect and my business partner is also my best friend and we, there is so much love and play and I, I don't, I don't come from a corporate background where people, you know, where you can be. I don't come from that I can be snippy and shitty when I'm when I'm upset or stressed and The difference with me is that I know I catch it I apologize and I I step back, you know after um, My stepmother died. I remember being on a call with one of the girls on my team and we were in a Google Doc together, working to format this proposal that we were trying to get out. And the formatting was all messed up. And I was, <laughs> I was gonna kill them. I was, I was at a 12, anger. And it was not, and I was like, wait a minute, my grief is, I can see what's happening, so I need to hit pause. I I was, we had gone into a breakout room because we were doing a big co-working session. We came back, I said, listen, I'm having a hard time. I know I'm really short, here's what I need. And, you know, so it's not perfect, but um, I believe, I love Brene Brown. She says, clear is kind, unclear is unkind. So I think that you can say anything to people if you're being kind and sometimes you just have to say things that, a friend of mine and I were talking this morning and he was saying, um, sometimes you have to say things, sometimes people can't handle the truth. And and I said, it's not your job to make the truth okay for other people. It's not. If you are telling your truth and you're being great, if they can't handle it or don't want to that's not on you like you're doing your part from a leader perspective if I'm saying hey this work is not up to snuff and you can't handle that I'm sorry but this is my job to, to make sure that the work is where it needs to be.
0: I'm having this vision of a guy who comes to meetings reeking of alcohol and saying he has a week or 30 days or whatever sober (laughs) and it's like are we really serving this person well by not calling them on their bullshit you know and you probably have partners etc that you give them permission to call you out and so what are the um, key words when can they just say bullshit not even you believe that
1: yeah I mean I think they always could we try, you know, there's a big call-out culture, cancel culture, no. um, which I am not a fan of. Mm. I'm not a fan of the call-out. We talk about calling people in in a way that is not shaming, right? Because a call-out can be shaming. Um, so the one of the things that makes our experience unique, I think, or special at Lumo is that we have sufficient relationship. We have a lot of relationships. So there's a lot of trust. It's a very safe environment. So it wouldn't be I'm calling you out. It would be, hey, is everything okay? What's going on? It seems like there's something going on there. We were in a call last week and I got really pissed off about something. And and you can see it on my face. So someone on my team stopped the call and they said, Sarah, what's going on? You okay? You don't seem like you. So it's not a call out, it's like it's a check in. And that's there's a big difference because it's it essentially does the same thing. It's like, but it's not saying I call bullshit on this. It's saying this isn't you, what's going on?
0: Yeah, and giving people permission to say, you seem angry, what is it you're angry about?
1: Totally, yeah, we, we get to. We do, we have that permission with each other.
0: And all the woo-woo that is, a course, in miracles, there's one line <laughs> that is just, a, it says, I am never upset for the reason I think.
1: Uh, I love that. That's great.
0: Like, if that didn't come from God, it came from somebody who was very wise. Yeah,
1: I love that.
0: It's not about the Google sheet.
1: It's not about the Google sheet. Never about the Google sheet. We joke, um, you know, husband and wife married for 30 years. One day she says, I can't stand the way he chooses." Right. It's never. It's, that's true. That's very true. We're never mad about what we, there's always something else.
0: Yeah. And so if I take the time to see what that is, you know, if I unwind. Yeah. And say, well, it was that last week I felt disrespected. Yeah. Or I feel like, you know, or I feel like you're not listening to me. Yeah. You're not hearing me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the, um, so why do you think women at least have the reputation and i think it's true of being more collegial um more like we and us as opposed to hierarchical Mm. you need to get this done
1: yeah i think that again that nature nurture kind of conversation women are naturally caregivers right when it was a more hunting and gathering society Um, I think men naturally are really strongly their identity is really strongly tied to success and work and that sort of thing so it can become where that is, the, it, it becomes exaggerated or overdeveloped, right, it becomes an ego, right, we can do anything from love or fear, so it becomes a fear-based or everything is about that. Um, and I think with women we're hardwired for it, we're, you know, to care, to be caregivers, to take care of others, um, But I think that men and women have the capacity for all of it because I've seen women with huge egos and I've seen the most caring, kind, compassionate men you could imagine. So I think it's we all have the capacity for all of it. It's just what will we develop, what do we want, what are we committed to. What is the world telling us? It's a very dynamic thing.
0: When can traditional feminine values be perverted for really sort of toxic or passive-aggressive? And I'm thinking particularly about all the distinctions that have been made between being nice and being kind. Mm. Like the whole sweetness. Yeah. Um, when When is sweetness, t- toxic.
1: Yeah. Um, I think it's when you're not telling the truth. I think that's when it's, you know, talking about people in the service of niceness versus two people. Like, we, we do a lot under niceness, and I think for women, there's a Bless big... Bless her heart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a big good girl thing. Like, we're... Where things are instilled in us at a very young age, um, around being good and certain behavior is rewarded, and even, you know, it's the most natural thing. Someone's crying, and it's like, don't cry, you know, don't, don't have those feelings. And, and I deal with so many adults that have no capacity for their own feelings.
0: Mm-hmm. How do you develop that capacity? And someone, like coaching them or teaching them or encouraging them?
1: Um, when someone, first you need to understand what's in the way and what's going on. Um, and then it's a willingness. Are they willing to go there? Because some people aren't and it works good enough, you know? Working on top of the anger, working on top of the sadness, working on top of the grief. It's, you know, um, the person I met with today. We worked together a few years ago, and he said, "I think I'm, um, i think I'm ready to do the work again." That's like, wow, okay. You know, because it's it's a choice, but it's, you know, we start with awareness. Like, am I aware? And then, am I
0: willing? You said you had a hard time in college. Can you elaborate on that?
1: Yeah, I... My junior year, I went to London to study and I had been very straight edge, like no drinking all throughout high school. And in college, I had a few, you know, earlier on a few wine coolers or something. And then I went to London and I had never been on an airplane, small town girl in a big city that I was not ready for and, you know, was partying hardy with these people and came home and was in this really, you know, my dad had given me a credit card for emergencies. I maxed out the credit card. I'm flying to Paris. I'm over in Amsterdam. I'm in Italy. I'm I'm just spending money. I'm you know in clubs that open at midnight just completely different from you know Rhode Island (laughs) Um, I hadn't ever seen anything like it and I came home and I was depressed and I was I wasn't eating and I I was just I was really struggling Um, and I went into I did some inpatient I was I was depressed And I never thought I'd smile again. My eating was all out of whack. And it, you know, I didn't know, it was a really hard time. It was really, I couldn't make simple decisions about like, what am I gonna eat? It was just, it was really, really strange. And, you know, with the support and love of my family, um, and some people in my life, you know, I was able to come through on the other side, and yeah, I think that people go through hard times at different times, you know, like life quakes, and that was definitely one for me at a younger age, you know, and it's given me so much hope and possibility because people can heal and they can change and they can. Yeah, create things in their lives.
0: Some people think people can't change.
1: People can change, absolutely.
0: Transform. But
1: they can absolutely transform. Yeah.
0: But there need to be these kind of whatever you want to call them, uh, teachers or you know gurus or whoever it is, someone to sort of usher that in, call that out.
1: There's in there everywhere. Mm-hmm. There, there is wisdom everywhere if you're willing to look at it. You could learn from anyone if you're willing. And I think it's, are you willing? Do you want it? Are you going to go for it? You know? And that's, that's how I think about it.
0: Yeah. Where'd you meet Matt?
1: I met Matt at a bar in Brooklyn.
0: And what was your initial impression?
1: I was like, oh, he's all right. I had... Um,
0: <laughs> you weren't bowled over.
1: <laughs> and th- no, I was not bowled over. Um, he, it's funny. I, at that time, I had a, a business where I brought meditation and yoga and mindfulness into companies in New York. And I just come back from a trip. I was doing this, the whole New York hustle. I had that little business. I was bartending twice a week. I had, I was an actress, so I was doing all these things, and. Um,
0: Don't forget the foot modeling. We're gonna come back
1: to. Oh that. my God, the foot modeling. <laughs> um, so I. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> he he gave away your secret.
1: He's so funny. I had. Yeah, I had been in India for a month studying meditation. Oh my word and I came back and the day after I came back I Met Matt at the bar he walked in and I was He wanted to watch something on the Tar Heels. He wanted to watch a basketball game and I said "Um, No, I promised the TV to someone else, but if you come back later, I'll put on a show for you and um, He was like, okay (laughs) So he came back and it's funny because, you know, Matt is so tall and he was sitting next to a kid who is at least 10 years younger, um, if not more, who's also really tall wearing glasses. They could have been cousins, right? Like both six, four, both wearing glasses. And I was talking to both of them and Matt said, oh, I didn't know which one of us you liked. And I said, I didn't like either of you. I was being friendly and giving you beer because that's my job. You know, I mean, um, So we laugh about it, but he stayed, and we ended up talking. And I was going to meet my friends for dinner, and he said, "I'd like to continue this conversation." I was like, "Okay, we'll see."
0: What were you talking about? Like what kinds?
1: Well, Matt said, "I think we have a lot in common because he was working, you know, he was a Broadway producer at that time, and I was acting."
0: why do you put air quotes around it?
1: Because, I mean, I was not, I was doing infomercials and, you know, car commercials and just all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, yeah, so I wouldn't say, you know, I had friends, my, one of my roommates in New York, she's still, she's a comic, she's a writer, she's still doing that thing. And I remember one of my acting teachers in New York said, if you can do anything else other than act from a spiritual perspective, if you can look at yourself and be happy doing it, I'm like, oh, I could do anything and be happy. I mean, this is fun and interesting, and I think I could be good at it. But I didn't study it in college. I kind of wish I would have because it would have changed things. Um, I was considering a conservatory program before I moved to New York, going to graduate school and... I ended up just moving to New York instead and having a go, and I had a lot of fun, did some really neat stuff, but, you know, it was not a long-term game for me. I didn't have that fire and commitment to say whatever it takes.
0: Let me just say that anybody can be an actor, but not everyone can be a foot model.
1: (laughs) Ha! That's the truth. That is the truth. You gotta have nice feet. (laughs) It's a hidden talent.
0: Um, So why did you decide to marry him? How did you know that he was... Uh,
1: I think that I fell in love with Matt when it was a random... It was probably a Monday or Tuesday or something, and... I was teaching a yoga class, and I, I was subbing for someone at my studio where my teacher was. And, um, you know, those morning classes at ten thirty or 11, or whatever time it was, We, we my friend Janelle says, they're for the unemployed and the geriatric set, um, unemployed and retired. And, you know, like three or four people would come and like that. And I remember... I was about to go upstairs to start teaching and Matt walked in with his yoga mat and I said, This guy, he'll just do anything. He's he's a yes to me and to who I am and what I'm doing and, and I want to be with someone who's a yes to me and my dreams and my life.
0: Totally supportive.
1: Yep. And we've been that for each other from the get. And I think that is one of our superpowers as a couple.
0: Why aren't you still in New York?
1: Oh, God. After Mirabal was born, we just knew we were ready for something different. I had been there for almost a decade. Matt had been there with his different... He had been in New York at two different times. It had been a decade for him. And we just said, we're ready for something different. I didn't want to raise a child in a two-bedroom in cobble hill brooklyn i mean cobble hill is fabulous and brooklyn is i love it and we go back all the time i think i'm going to be there five times in march (laughs) we we get plenty of time in new york um but i knew i didn't want to raise my daughter there Mm. and i wanted to be closer to family so it was new england where my family is or north carolina and I'm like, oh the weather, let's give Charlotte. And we we would come to Charlotte, you know, a couple of times a year to see Matt's family, and I loved it. And we said, let's let's do it. And it's been a phenomenal place to build our businesses and just have a great life and a great lifestyle. It's really good.
0: Why'd you decide to be parents?
1: Um Because Matt's one of three, I'm one of three. Family is just really important to us, and I think that Mirabelle really saved us because Matt and I love our work a lot, and we would work too much if we didn't have her. And um, yeah, she's she's just brought so many gifts to me as a person, taught me so much. I love being a mom.
0: Was your pregnancy hard?
1: Yeah, it was really gross. Because <laughs> I was I was living in New York and when you're pregnant, your sense of smell, you're like a watchdog. You know, you can smell everything. A hound dog.
0: <laughs> dumpsters.
1: Yeah, dumpsters. I remember getting off the train once and I was really pregnant at this point because I remember holding my belly and running this guy was smoking a cigarette in front of me and I I thought I was going to die it was the grossest experience um no it was fine I mean it was hilarious to be in New York I remember being on the train and um a guy looked at me like we caught eyes and he and he smiled at me and then he looked at my belly and the first smile was like an like a hey smile, and the second smile was like an aww, like you're a mom smile. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just went from woman to mother. I just, my identity sort of did something in that moment, but I was, I was really sick my first trimester. Nauseous and exhausted all the time. Literally 24 seven, I felt terrible. No matter how much I slept, I was tired. It was, the first trimester was hard and then it got better, but I mean. I do it again in a second. Hmm.
0: What was the experience of delivery like? Like I will never know what that feels like.
1: I was very at that time it was like deep deep in my yoga meditation in that world. It was my world back then and we were in birthing classes and doing all the things. In fact I met One of my closest friends, a woman who's on my team now, we were both in birthing class together, and I remember looking across at her and her husband. She was just really cool, and we we fell in love with each other. Um, But she, uh, you know, I really wanted a natural birth. I was really attached to that, having that experience, and Mirabelle was breech in a New York State they will not deliver a breech baby vaginally. So it was a C-section. It was scheduled, I knew. And I was so fortunate because my friend miraculously was the nurse. I had one of the best doctors in New York City who delivered all kinds of celeb babies and all that. He was incredible, and um, he did a great job. He did a great job, and it was really, it was the best it could have been for the circumstances. They played music, they, they let me um, keep the placenta. I mean, things that they, my girlfriend really did a lot to make sure it was the best it could be.
0: Why was the placenta important to you?
1: Um, you encapsulate them, and then you take them, and it's supposed to help with postpartum, and... But there's so many nutrients and vitamins, so it's a thing that women will will ingest the placenta after.
0: Interesting. Um, how do you do that? Do you do you just like
1: they dehydrate it and oh, then they put it in a capsule?
0: Oh, and so you keep taking the capsules? Yeah. And do you think it made a difference? Do you think it? It's hard how- to say. Yeah. I mean,
1: I had a pretty. I mean, a cesarean is major abdominal surgery, right? Oh, You're, amen.
0: I've seen it. Yeah. Staples.
1: Yeah. It's, and and I, don't, I don't know if I was stable. I guess I must have been. Um, my guy did such a good job. This scar is this big. Oh. I mean, it's incredible because the body heals, right? It, it, it goes back. But it's, it's, uh, it's rough. I mean, I remember laying there and my whole body was shaking as they were pulling her out. And, I mean, I couldn't feel a thing, obviously, but, um, yeah.
0: What was the feeling when they laid her on you?
1: Oh, it was like the greatest thing. I mean, first, when he held her over and I saw her face, I was like, oh, my God. She's so sweet. Mm. And um, I remember looking at her and just thinking, thank you, God. This is just... This is the greatest, and Matt, you know, Matt was there holding my hand, and he had knocked over all this equipment because I wanted him to be on the side that had no thing in my hand, mm-hmm. and um, they were, you know, it was just like a comedy because he was on the wrong. They again accommodated me for my special want for him to be on this side versus the father sit on this side, and I'm like, I want him on this side just because I could hold this it felt more comfortable to me Hmm. and then he knocked over all this stuff he got (laughs) it was like a whole situation (laughs) um but yeah it was this really beautiful moment matt was crying it was really but i was you know i was really calm and we had gone to my teacher's studio and meditated for like three hours that morning before we went in to the hospital and i was ready and We did it.
0: Um, Recently, what has Mirabelle taught you?
1: Most recently, um, it's been about accepting, accepting people as they are and not how you want them to be because she's, you know, moving into that preteen thing and I want her to be Happy to see mom, and she's like, "Okay, mom." <laughs> she's not and, and accepting her the way she is, and not how I want her to be. That's been the most recent lesson.
0: Yeah, meet them where they are.
1: Yeah, and huh. that's a that's a tough thing.
0: I respect your time. I we know only you have do. six minutes. Um, if we got struck by lightning today...
1: It goes today, by so fast, doesn't it?
0: If we got struck by lightning right now, Ooh, and the only similar. thing that survived is this little piece of digital audio,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, what is your legacy?
1: Oh, it's love and compassion. It's forgive people, forgive yourself, love people, love yourself. That's it. It's It's forgiveness, it's compassion, it's love, it's... You know, it's not whatever you think it is, it's not that important.
0: Um, what things do you have to find you let go of? Like, I had the hash browns this morning, I probably didn't need them.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely not that. Those are not the things I worry about. Um, I think it's mistakes that I've made that have hurt myself or other people, those are the harder things to let go of
0: mm-hmm.
1: for me. I don't, I don't care about, you know, breakfast.
0: Um, if you say, I apologize, and what can I do to make this right? If you attempt to make amends to someone and they don't accept it, mm-hmm. um, can you let go of that? Can you just kind of let them be where they are?
1: Yeah, I can. It, I know my intentions. And it's not my job to worry about whether or not they forgive me. It's my job to do my work, clean up my side Mm -hmm. and do better and learn.
0: You said you meditate and pray in the morning. What does your meditation look like?
1: It really depends on the day. I, used I mean, to do lotus a
0: lotus position, or do oh, you yeah. just...
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, I sit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I sit um, in a cross-legged position. I know some people are like, you can lay down. I don't think you can. Um, that's a different thing than meditation. Um, I used to do a lot of kundalini yoga meditation, a lot of chanting, and there's movement and that kind of meditation sometimes. Um, but I've been doing the peloton meditations recently, mm. and it's nice. It's just simple. It's It's a guided... 10 minutes easy then I pray are you
0: on the bike or are you moving no or? no I'm
1: sitting yeah I I
0: oh they have their own meditation oh they do yeah okay
1: I'm I'm old school when it comes to meditation like you sit
0: and what does prayer look like for you
1: well today it looked like calling unity ministry to have someone pray with me I have a friend who's having a heart transplant in 30 minutes. So, you know, I wanted to have someone pray with me and, you know, pray for her family. And the Daily Word is this devotional, and my mom has had it sent to me for years. And I, um, yeah, I called them and they said, what what would you like to pray about? Who do you want to pray for? And you tell them, and they say this beautiful prayer, and it's scripted, right? So if you've someone who's, you know, needing physical healing or emotional healing or whatever it is, they will pray with you about that, and it's it's different every day.
0: Um, do you believe that an individual prayer or collective prayers change things in the world?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes and no. It's such a hard conversation right now because there's so much pain and suffering in the world. Like looking at what's going on in Gaza and it's like it's really hard to because there's so much there's so many people praying for that. I think there's people praying for our country. You know, I think it's complicated. I depending on the day, sometimes I think yes, sometimes I think no.
0: Do you believe in Manifesting, attracting.
1: I believe that. Yes, I do, but not, you know, not in the way that like red Ferrari, red Ferrari, red Ferrari, <laughs> it and be. then there's a. It, it could be, but I really think don't, it's.
0: Don't judge my dreams. Yeah, don't, yeah, yeah, don't yeah. No, no. My dreams.
1: But I think it's like okay what are you doing in service of the, you know, I, I think that people get a little funny about manifestation. What does it mean and what does it not? And I think it's like, I think manifestation is you and the universe working together in partnership. It's you saying, I want this, and then showing how much you want it by your actions, right? So it's, it's really about integrity is my thinking and my speaking and my actions aligned? And then when you're doing that and you're working with the universe, I think it's a good thing. You know, we bought this old house. Things have been going wrong with the old house, you know, and we spent a lot of money to, to get into this place. So it's been so hard. But the contractor who renovated it, who doesn't owe us a goddamn thing, has been making the repairs. Oh, wow. Because it's 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 the right thing to do, right? Legally, he owes us nothing um, from a contractual standpoint because in North Carolina no, you there's don't not... hear
0: those stories very often.
1: I do. And I think it's because Matt and I do our best to do right by people. There was a big storm, and apparently our neighbors, a branch from a neighbor's tree fell on our fence and maybe, Damaged it. I didn't even notice it. Matt didn't notice. I don't even know if you can tell. We got a letter in our mailbox from our neighbors over there saying, hey, we're so-and-so. We think a branch from our tree fell into your yard and might have damaged something. Here's our number. We want to repair the fence. Wow. Right? Wow. So I think that life is life, right? Things happen for us to help us grow and evolve and i think that when when you do a lot of good i think good comes back and i think there's goodness everywhere if you're if you're willing to see it
0: yeah i admire you immensely thank you you're a tremendous leader thank you and a great coach
1: oh thank you
0: thank you for making time
1: oh i'm so happy to do it This has been a joy. Namaste. Namaste.
0: Sarah Olin is on LinkedIn. You can find her company, LUMO. That's L-U-M-O, of which she is the founder and CEO. And she still does some coaching with some real high flyers. And it is just a privilege to get time with her and to understand her and build a relationship with her. Sarah, thank you so very much.
2: In Her Words is a production of the Queen City Podcast Network in cooperation with Balto Creative Media. Allison Andrews at Andrews Creative, Rachel Clapp-Miller and Roshonda Pratt are developmental producers. Sally Higgins at Higgins & Owens tries to keep us legal. Our music is A Day at the Park by the group Pictures of the Floating World. Your announcer is Catherine Smith. That's me. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and take a moment to rate and review. It really helps others find us. If you love us, go to our Patreon page at patreon.com. Look for Man Listening One Word, No Spaces. A small investment makes a big difference in lifting up the voices of women.
0: A huge shout out and thank you to everyone who has supported manlistening.com in her words the podcast and now Voice Locket which I hope you'll check out at voicelocket.com. Thanks so much.
2: Thank you for your support. We believe one voice can change the conversation. Thanks so much.